Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast for Our Resolute Hope. My name is John Russin, here with Pastor Frank Friedman, and my friend, we are both sweltering in our respective states' summer heat, are we not? <laughs> oh my goodness, This I can't recall it being this hot in the last 30 years, but oh. uh, it's cool in the inside as long as we got that central air. <laughs> you know, I tell you, I uh, walk into my house here in southern Arizona, where we haven't seen below 100 in the day for a month and a half. And I say, Father, thank you for this air conditioning. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, and so, sir. you know, when you go outside, you suffer. You go inside, you just get a bit of a reprieve. And so, Frank, that aspect of suffering is kind of a crude segue into what we've been talking about, as you know. Oh, for the past eight episodes or so, we've been largely focused on the topic of suffering. And we're looking mm. at New Testament characters for the most part. But today we're going to switch gears. And we're going to go old book, and mm. we're going to look at one of your favorite Bible people, mm. uh, Joseph. Now, when I made a list of suffering people, frankly, he wasn't on my list at first, near the top at least, but you really argued strongly for him. So tell us, why do you feel so strongly about including Joseph? Well, John, maybe uh, just to ponder the idea of suffering Jesus said in the world, you're going to have tribulation. We looked at Paul. He said, death comes at us every day in this world. It's a, an unkind world with the potential for trouble around every corner. And I think we discussed last time, if we didn't, maybe we just throw that out today. Most scholars believe that the book of Job was the very first book written. And if that's the case, John, it's almost like God was saying, this is how life is going to be. This is not going to be the Garden of Eden, and it's going to provide great opportunity for you to trust me. And that's really why I like Joseph, John. I've I had the opportunity to teach on his life, and that forces you to dig deep. And he has his flaws, and I'm always so glad that Scripture records the flaws of the biblical characters, because we have our flaws. And it's great to know that these people didn't float through this world without difficulty, without failure, without foolish choices. But the thing about Joseph is, in my opinion, when I look at him is the first book in Genesis, I see him as stellar, far and above the other patriarchs. Abraham had lots of faith failures and the sexual indiscretion. And we find Jacob as such a deceiver and manipulator. And we see Isaac, and he's really kind of a mama's boy and never kind of comes into his own. And then there's Joseph. And we see his flaws, but most of his flaw is as a young man, a very young man. 
And I would kind of look at it and say, you know, it's almost childishness. It's immaturity, which is total normality. But we don't see the character flaws in his later adult life. We see tremendous faith in the midst of really circumstances that he didn't ask for. And he was very faithful to God, and yet circumstances didn't get any better. And at the end of his life, he makes one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible about this issue of suffering. And so John, in my opinion, he just stands head and toe above the other patriarchs and is very worthy of a, of a discussion about who he is and how he got to where he got. Yeah. You know, Frank, you mentioned those famous words from Genesis 50. We all know them. We've heard them in sermons. You know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we talk about that and say, boy, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have faith like Joseph and be able to say stuff like that? Or wouldn't it be nice to have faith like Daniel, you know, and, and just face the lion's den? But, you know, that kind of faith, Frank, doesn't just pop up overnight. It's the fruit of years, decades, a lifetime of suffering, struggling, pruning, waiting, trusting father. You know, Daniel trusted God. Joseph trusted God in the middle of pagan societies. So this kind of fruit takes time. And we're going to see over the next couple of episodes, that time unfold in Joseph's life where he started and the changes that occurred and how he got to be able to say those famous words mm. in Genesis 50. Because my friend, as you alluded to earlier, even though Joseph's life worked out well in the end, it didn't really start out that way. <laughs> no, no. It really didn't. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we all did. And so I want to spend just a few moments taking a look at where Joseph's suffering really begins in his home, in his family. And I think about this, Frank, and I know you've been through a lot of counseling situations. And home is supposed to be a place where you're welcome, you're treasured, you're safe. But that wasn't so for Joseph. And Frank, as you know, it, it isn't so for a lot of believers today. Mm -hmm. And so can you comment just briefly on some of the type of problems that arise when our home isn't a welcoming, safe place where we're discarded instead of treasured? Oh, my goodness, John. Yeah, um, and you got two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, yeah. It's difficult enough with a frail, flawed human father and a frail, flawed human mother that produce two, three, four frail, flawed human children. This is normality in a fallen world. We're all born separated from God and learning to come to God, learn how to live from God. And it's a journey. And that's going to have a lot of failures along the way. And failures bring consequences. That's tough enough. But Joseph came from a really strange family unit. You had that story, of course, with Jacob and he had Leah. He didn't want Leah. He wanted Rachel. 
but Laban uh, deceived him. And he wakes up and after the marriage ceremony and behold, it was Leah. And so then he Laban had him work for seven more years and finally he got Rachel and then he had a couple of concubines. And so there were four different matriarchs in this one family and each of them had stepchildren. And so there's 12 different children from four different moms, all with the same father. And these are not quite yet of Abraham, but they're about to be. And so, well, they are from Abraham. So I guess we could call them Jewish mothers. <laughs> and so they're all longing for their child to be put forth as the primary child. And so you can just imagine the sibling rivalry, the jealousy, the favoritism, and of course, Jacob did favor Rachel, and then you're going to favor Rachel's kids, and then the other kids are going to feel rejected, and boy, you talk about a recipe for disaster. Welcome to the world in which this young man was raised. You know, I've read this account a lot of times, but this is the first time that this observation jumped out at me, Frank. These are the words of Leah, the unloved wife. Mm. After son number one, she had six sons. After son number one, she says, maybe my husband will love me now. Oh, After son number three, she says, maybe he'll become attached to me now. And after son number six, she says, now maybe my husband will dwell with me. Mm. And so rejection, favoritism, ramp, it went in every direction, Frank. Mm. I just read that and my heart went out to this dear lady who, by the way, bore Judah, <laughs> who mm. was the one through whom the Messiah came. So she was the one. But boy, she was treated, my goodness, like a doormat. You know, John, the thought I had, too, is every one of us comes into this world separated from God, therefore yearning for significance, yearning for a reason for living, wanting your life to count, wanting to be special. And the place we look to, because we don't know Sikkim about God, is we look to our family. And so you can just imagine the vying for attention that was going on amongst those kids. Just horrendous situation. Just a mess. And then, of course, Rachel finally has a child, names him Joseph. She gets pregnant, has a second child, Benjamin, but she dies in childbirth. So really, of all these 12 sons, he has one who is most precious in his eyes, Joseph. And then we pick up Genesis 37, 17 years later, and we get a few snapshots of this young man. And scripture says plainly, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph best. So he gave him a colorful mm. cloak. Oh, and then right after that, Scripture says the brothers hated Joseph. Mm. And I, of course, being the word geek that I am, this word hated is not, oh, my brother Joseph is a punk kid, an annoying pest. This is a strong word like you'd use to define how you feel toward your enemy. So this is how the brothers felt toward Joseph. So 
Jacob was really guilty in driving wedges between his sons to the point where scripture says the brothers couldn't even speak peaceably to Joseph. So, mm. Frank, what's going to go on in a young boy's mind when he's in the middle of a whirlwind of just bitterness and viciousness and resentment and hatred? Uh, what's that going to do to him? Well, it's, it's going to be a mixed bag. One hand, the favoritism that calls him out as special. And you can begin to believe that about yourself. This is why favoritism from a parent is so devastating. You destroy your child by helping them think the world revolves around them, which they're going to find out the hard way isn't true. And then you're setting them up for rejection from the rest of the kids. So it's going to be this mixed bag. From the dad, it's, boy, am I special. And from the brothers, no, you're not. And in fact, we're going to help you understand that you're not. And they're going to be brutal to him. And so this is just, oh my goodness, just uh, the poor kid is put in a circumstance from which there is no way out except through experiencing some hard knocks and those hard knocks are coming at the oh, hands of the brothers oh yes indeed you know some of those brothers were many years older than he was and so could process things a whole lot more but joseph was genesis 37 calls joseph a lad a mm. youth and this is the same word that scripture uses to describe baby Moses in the basket, in the river. So it's someone who's not only physically young, but naive, emotionally immature, vulnerable, mm. impressionable. And so this is, this is the kind of young person trying to navigate his way through life. I call it the pinball approach, you know, bouncing mm. off every bumper and every flipper trying to get to the hole at the bottom and rack up your points, but you just can't get there because mm -hmm. everybody is just beating the tar out of you. And then, of course, he responds. Of course, you're not going to sit there and be a punching bag. And so when you read in Genesis 37, Joseph brings a bad report about his brothers <laughs> to his father. No, so he's ratting out his brothers. Yeah. You know, And so the interfamily rivalry, oh, gosh. So he's trying to fight back as much as he can, but he just can't seem to pull it off. And Frank, I'm just amazed that this is when God steps in and says, okay, it's time for my purpose to begin to unfold in this young boy. And he starts to give him dreams and the ability to interpret dreams. I think, my goodness, this is like the worst possible time, but father saw differently. And so it, it made things even worse, didn't it, my friend? Yeah, there's a real lesson there to be learned, John. Of course, coming back to what he did by running to his dad, you know, this thing when you have a family that's showing favoritism, there's going to be competition. And whenever there's competition, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And nobody wants to be a loser. So they're going to be a winner, which means they're going to do anything they can to be a winner. And this idea, like Proverbs says, is, you know, that love conceals a matter. That's not going to exist in a family like this. And it backfires on him. Then God gives him this dream. And John, there is such an incredible lesson here. 
he gets the dream, of course, that all the others are going to bow down to him, including his father. And, you know, John, he heralds this at the dinner table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what you don't want to do. I looked at Joseph years ago. This was the one of the main lessons that jumped out at me. Not all revelation that you get from God is meant to be published. Sometimes revelation is just for you. And one of the things about revelation, and we have an enemy, is that even when we receive a revelation from God, there's an enemy right there who will sort of whisper in our ear and say something like, you must be really special to have got that revelation. And we'll use the revelation from God, which is always for others, and you know, also to you to encourage you, but always for others. That's what fruit is. And you know, we could go to John 15. We bear the fruit, but fruit is for others. And we'll start using that revelation to exalt ourselves, to set ourselves up as special. And boy, that's what Joseph did. And that was anything but what his brothers wanted to hear. Oh, yeah. And it certainly turned around to bite him. I think about another young person in scripture, Mary, the mother of Jesus. When you look back and you read Luke 2, and Gabriel shows up on her doorstep and says, hey, rejoice, highly favored one. Guess what? You're mm. blessed among women. You're going to become pregnant as a virgin. <laughs> you're going to bear the Messiah. But what? you're going to bear the scorn and rejection that's sure to accompany it probably for much of your life. And then Luke 2 says these amazing things. Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, so she did just the opposite. She hid them. She treasured them. She kept them safe as a comfort when the attacks would come. But Joseph did just the opposite. Frank, he contributed to his own suffering. And boy, don't we do that a lot. Oh, my goodness. Yet one of the mantras that I tried to instill into my children and into the congregations where I was privileged to serve as a pastor was the mantra, life is all about choices. Choices have consequences. Make good choices. And sadly, a lot of people don't follow through with that. Sadly, in my own life, I don't follow my own teachings. <laughs> and we have to learn through the school of hard knocks that we want to walk in the truth and not in lies. And we want to walk in the spirit and not after the flesh, because uh, those consequences do come and they certainly came for Joseph. Yes. It's so easy when the consequences come for the enemy to jump right in and to feed us thoughts. Like we have just ruined our lives. We've done the worst possible thing. We've absolutely blown it. For the rest of my life, I have to wear a bag to church or sit in the back row. I don't even know if God can even use me based on what I've done. But you know, my friend, God says something different. He's used to our messes because it's a chance for us to reveal our need to him, to see how much we truly need him, to turn to him. Because as a social media post we put out recently said that we come to him with our ashes. And instead of our ashes, in place of our ashes, he gives us beauty. Mm 
Mm. from Isaiah 61. So as we're going to see, he's going to take this nightmare of Joseph's family and Joseph's own choices. He's going to take those nightmares and turn them into beauty beyond description as he miraculously fulfills his promise that he made to Abraham, that Abraham's descendants would be gone from the land for a while. And at the same time, keeping the nation alive so they can keep the line intact for the promised Messiah. So Hill's going to bring lots of beauty from the ashes of Joseph and his family, won't he? Yes, indeed. In fact, it's going to be a, I guess I put it in a catchphrase, it's going to go from the prison to the palace. Yeah. (laughs) One more ditch to go through (laughs) before he gets to Egypt. I'm reading through this, and I'm thinking uh, all the brothers are away from home later in that same chapter in Genesis. And Joseph stays back, again, the favorite. So his dad sent him to find his brothers, and his brothers see him coming. And this is what they said. Here comes the dreamer. Mm. Let's kill him. And then we can see what comes of his dreams. (laughs) So they (laughs) saw him coming, and they didn't see a brother. They mm-hmm. saw the guy who just brought the dreams and irritated the crap out of these brothers so much that they mm-hmm. wanted to kill him. And then I looked at this. Of course, they stripped off his coat. This is a violent ripping, Frank. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't stand to look at the coat. I can't imagine what that coat represented to them. Mm-hmm. But he's in the ditch with no water, no coat, and about as close to death as he can get till his big brother, was it Reuben? I think it was Reuben, stepped in and protected him. So he's at the bottom, Frank. He's at the very, very bottom, and he gets sold to a caravan to carry him to Egypt. What a nightmare. Mm. I mean, if you were Joseph, how would you feel? I mean, mm. talk about the ultimate, the pinnacle of suffering. Yeah, John, there's a tremendous lesson here. When those brothers focused on what Joseph did wrong, he lost his humanness in their eyes. You know what I mean? He lost the family relationship in their eyes. When we focus on the wrong that people do, we dehumanize them. And when we dehumanize them, then we're justified in not treating them with the respect and honor and dignity that a a human being made in the image of God would deserve. And so I'm sure those brothers felt very self-justified in what they were doing. But, you know, one of the things I've, I've encouraged people to do over the years, John, is not just to read an account, but to try to put themselves into its pages And you can see these 11 raging, maniacally raging brothers ripping his clothes off. And I want to put myself there. I want to 
I want to hear the screams of this kid. You know what I'm saying? He had to have been screaming in fear and agony. You know, why are you doing this? Please don't, please don't. Begging, appealing. One word of, quote, wisdom steps in. Uh, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. At least we can make some money off this thing. <laughs> yeah, it spared his life. But my goodness, it might have even been worse because now he's going to spend his life as a slave. And who knows what abuse awaits him. And they had to have heard his screams as he went away from them in the caravan. And John, not a one of them turned from that behavior. It just shows how bitterness, like the New Testament says in the book of Hebrews, is a poison that will destroy you as a human being. And so, you know, I think that's one lesson that I would take from this and hopefully our listeners too, that, you know, if you're harboring something against someone, it'll not only cause you to dehumanize them, you will become dehumanized because the bitterness will poison you and your humanity. Very, very dangerous thing to have happen in your life. Well said, my friend. That sounds like a uh, a good wrap-up. Anything else you want to add, or are we good to go today? No, I, I just can't wait to talk about his journey to Egypt and what might have happened as he shows up in Egypt as a just a very different young man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to next time together, John. Well said, my friend. Well, our listeners, you have to come back next episode. But thanks for listening to us today on the podcast for Our Resolute Hope. And if what we've said has struck a chord with you, and we know that many of you, like Frank and I, have been raised in homes that are dysfunctional, we encourage you to take this to Father. Take your struggles, take your rejections, take your pains, take your loss, take them to Him. And give Him a chance to take your ashes and in place of them, let him give you beauty so that you can smile once more and rejoice. And you'll get to the point where, like Joseph in Genesis 50, said, hey, you guys meant it for evil. But I tell you what, my father had his hand in it and he meant mm -hmm. it for good. Wow. What a capstone expression of faith. So friends, we invite you to check out our website as well, ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our social media platforms. Of course, we've got presence on Facebook, Instagram. We've got our own YouTube channel. And of course, we remind you, as we do every episode, of our favorite verse from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a resolute hope. It's a blessed hope, Paul told Titus. So today and always, choose that hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.